right, what's up all of our Liberty-loving friends? My name is Nate. Charlie is right to my left right here. We are live at Freedom Fest in South Dakota. Charlie, Which apparently doing? is the freest state That's what in I heard. the union so I heard, far. I heard it's the at freest least, state. At least last year. And to my right is Kirk Chisholm, who is the Wealth Manager at Innovative Advisory Group. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. I'm feeling very free. Are you? It's because you're in South Dakota? Because I'm in South Dakota, yeah. And we're surrounded by a bunch of free people with, you know, free thinking ideas, which I love. You That's know, it's a good good group of people here. Although climate change has clearly made its way up here. It's hot. It's 95 <laughs> degrees. Wow. Wow, it's hot. Okay, now where did, where did you come from? Where, where are you from? Uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. Ah. Not quite so free. <laughs> a little less free than South Dakota. Yeah. A, a lot more people, I would say. I guess in Boston, there's probably more people than there are in South Dakota, more than likely. Probably, yeah. Now, yeah. Would you say 800,000 people in South Dakota? The whole state. Yeah. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so tell everyone a little bit about the company and what it is that you do. Yeah, so I work for Innovative Advisor Group. We're an independent RAA. We provide wealth management to individuals. Um, we're very well known for our risk management as well as our investing in alternatives inside retirement accounts. Okay. Can you, what is RAA? Uh, an RAA is a registered investment advisor. So for those of you who are not familiar, which is most people, because the industry does not educate people, um, <laughs> there's a difference between an RAA and a broker dealer. A broker-dealer is a firm that basically sells products for commissions. An RAA is a fiduciary, which is looking out for the best interest of our clients, and they're putting we're putting their interests first. So, are your most of your clients are they individuals? Are they companies? Are they is it a little mix? Primarily, work with individuals and families. Uh, we do work with some companies and organizations, but primarily, we like working with individuals because we can do a lot more good there, and we can help them because we work them more in a in an individual level rather than, you know, the the problem with comp working with companies and organizations is it's very impersonal, it's very corporate, it's institutional. Like there are people who focus on institutions and that's great. I just, I don't enjoy it so much because it's, it's, it's kind of a dry conversation. Uh, now you said you, you're the main thing that you're known for is the risk management, right? Now uh, we... We, we've done a little bit of trading that we're not as, you know, we're, we're not as, we don't know as much as you do, for sure. And we do way different, way different trading, probably probably not as risk managed as you would, as you would want it to be. But tell, just tell me about the importance of that and a little bit of what your ideas and strategy that you could tell me about. How much time do we have? Oh, I mean, we've got, uh, I think, an hour. Yeah. It's a very deep topic. <laughs> it is. It's pretty important, though, right, if you're going to start trading or if you're going to invest a lot of money. I mean, yeah. you, uh, one thing I was wondering about is I talked to you about this yesterday, but everyone's always worried that the market's about to crash and just go down to nothing. You know, it's about to happen, right? Every single day it's about to happen. So our firm's philosophy, we have a risk management first philosophy. And most of Wall Street, most of the institutions, most individuals, they all think the same way, which is, what is my return going to be? Can you get me a better return than I'm getting now? That's all anyone focuses on. And it's, it's absurd because you're, you're focusing on half the equation. Half the equation is what you're going to get for performance. What they don't focus on is what's the risk. And the risk could be astronomical, right? I mean, look at, you know, cryptocurrencies. They could all go to zero. That is your risk, and you have to acknowledge that that is a risk that they could go to zero, right? Now, they could also go up, you know, 
100% to 20 times your money, but that's what we call an asymmetric risk trade, but that's very anomalous. Most people, you're looking for an investment that you can manage that risk. You know what that risk is, you're comfortable with that risk. So. You know, if you're investing in a stock, um, you might have like you might have something written down that says, "I'm not going to lose more than 20% in that stock." And if it hits 20%, you're out. Doesn't matter what the market's doing. Doesn't matter if you know if you're immediately wrong, you get out and you move on. So risk management is probably the last thing that people focus on, but really it should be the first thing, because if you really do your risk management well, everything else, the performance takes care of itself. Quite frankly. You said that those are anomaly, those trades. Elon Musk and Wall Street Bets, I think, refer to those as stonks. <laughs> not anomalies. They, they, only, they only go up. I, I'm not in with the cool crowd, apparently. Yeah, I'm How old many school. stonks are you guys invested in? <laughs> that's, uh, that's I'm just kidding. Good. No, but the, the, but that's one thing we talk about. So we we do um, we do trading as well, and we um, we help others. And one thing that the I think to me the biggest part of investment at all is realizing that it is risky number one so you should um, if you're if you're gonna trade let's say versus long-term investments you should only trade with money that you can lose because that's that's what it is it could it could all go to zero right. at one point but also that risk management also coincides to me with like the psychology of trading yep. you, you mentioned perfectly I think it's like okay you have to know the plan. Like, okay, if I'm going to trade this stock, if I'm if I'm down 20% out, 20%, I'm getting out. I can't convince myself otherwise. And I think a lot of people do that. They they move the stop or they change the plan yep. and those different types of things. And that psychology within that within trading or investing or something is something really hard to get over. So how do you structure? yourself or your organization to where uh, those rules are in place and is it something you set up when you're when you're in that or, or is somebody monitoring that and how do you get around that um, or how do you ace that psychological barrier I guess uh, it's a great question it's probably one of the biggest challenges that anybody has to deal with as a trader whether you're working managing other people's money or your own because we're all emotional beings yes exactly we're <laughs> yeah. human right mm -hmm. we're all the same we're all wired the same way some people have a harder time managing their own money some people have a harder time managing other people's money. I've seen that in my industry. For me, it's um, it's easier for other people than myself. I tend to make more mistakes with my own. Um, but I think what you have to understand is you have to understand your own investor psychology. So, you, you know, we talk about this a lot. Everyone wants to be Warren Buffett. You are not Warren Buffett. You are not going to invest like him. You have you do not have the advantages that he has. If you want to invest like him, your investor psychology needs to match his. And if it doesn't, then you shouldn't be investing like Warren Buffett because you're going to fail. And Everybody who's been successful at investing is successful because they understand their own investor psychology and they map their strategy according to that. So for instance, if you feel like you need action every single day and that is what gets you going and that's your only interest and you probably shouldn't be an investor to begin with, but if you are- No, you we'll just go ahead and go. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but that, that gets into a second point. But the, the, the first point is you need to understand that about yourself. You shouldn't invest like Warren Buffett if you need that action because that's gonna destroy your psychology. You're gonna invest in some blue chip stock and you're gonna be like, ah, I can't, I can't wait, I gotta get into something else, right? Right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, first of all, you should understand that about yourself. Second of all, you know, investing is not gambling, right? Investing is very different. And I, I hate using this comparison, but I have to because it's so perfect. Is like if you're playing Texas Hold'em, I'm, I'm sure you guys have played that before. A mm -hmm. lot of the listeners probably have. Texas Hold'em is not about winning hands. It's about winning big when you win and losing small when you lose. 
And investing is much the same way. You look at a guy like George Soros, who everybody hates, especially at this conference. <laughs> I don't understand why. That's, I that's true. Yeah. I don't particularly like the guy. But, <laughs> but as a trader, as an investor, he's brilliant. And he's written some great books on it. And people should pick this up because he's really bright. And one of the things that he's talked about is, you know, take like two investors, right? You have one investor that is right 51% of the time and wrong 49% of the time. You have investor B who's right 70% of the time and wrong 30% of the time. Who do you think is going to make more money? Depends on which one is making the biggest returns. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, what about you? What's your... I mean, 70-30 sounds better to me. 70 does sound better. So we don't have enough information, Yeah. right? Because on the surface, all else being equal, correct. 70-30 would be right. But if it's 70-30, if you're only making 5% when you're right and you're losing 20% when you're wrong, then you're probably going to have a losing strategy. If you're 51-49 and you're making 20% when you're right and you're only losing 5% when you're wrong, then you're going to have a winning strategy. It's not about, you could win 30% of the time and make an enormous amount of money. Mm -hmm. Because when you're wrong, you lose small. But when you win, you win like 100% or whatever. So it's it's not just about the win rate, it's also about how much you make or versus how much you lose. And this is why Texas Hold'em, as an example, is where the professionals you know, really win because they're really good at numbers. It's not about, oh, what are my odds? It's like, all right, what are my odds and how much am I going to bet? So that's another layer to it, right? What's the sizing of your bet? So all of these different layers are really important parts of trading and investing because if you put 100% into a trade and it goes to zero, well, you're out of the game. You can't invest anymore. So you need to have a really good handle on that math in order to manage the risk. Yeah. Well, they look at, okay, what are my chances of winning? And if it's a high enough chance, like if it's greater than 50 or 60%, then I'm going to try to maximize the my my rake of the pot. Right. That's right? a little bit different with trading probably because it could, you know, the, the odds could change at, at any second, I guess. So it might look like you have uh, really good odds, but then something could happen and they could go the other way pretty easily. Right. Um, the one thing I was wondering about what you guys do, are you more, do you do technical analysis, a fundamental analysis on these stocks? How both. are you doing it? We do both. So we are, uh, we kind of take a holistic standpoint. Um, there are times where I'm 100% technical. I'll look at something, I'll say we should be in this. There are other times where I'm more fundamental. I tend to be more kind of global macro focused. That tends to be my um, kind of the way I focus on investing because I'm not going to be in there with individual stocks doing the fundamentals. Fundamentals, quite frankly, don't matter anymore and you don't get paid for that. There was a time back in the early 2000s where that, well, let me say late 90s where that actually mattered, but pretty much since the mid 2000s, it doesn't matter anymore because if you look at 2008, nobody got paid for being good stock picker because everything went down together. There was a time where diversification worked, where you diversify and you reduce your risk. That doesn't matter anymore because when stocks go down like 2020, 2008, 2018, 2015, everything goes down together. So it doesn't matter what you're in. Are so, you saying that GameStop is not a $100 billion company? I can't make claims <laughs> on individual stocks, so I'll get in trouble. But uh, <laughs> Let's say I wouldn't own it. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, when you think about, um, you know, like, for instance, for myself, like, I know that I'm bad psychologically at stop losses. 
I always sit there and be like, ah, it's right at that limit. Oh, a little bit more, a little bit more. I always negotiate because I can't put it in the market because I'm going to get blown out. They'll trigger that stop and then it'll bounce because I'm, a, I'm an institutional investor. So I can't do that. So it's in my head, which means I'm going to rationalize with it. And I know that about myself. So now I use options as a way to manage that risk. So it doesn't matter if I'm wrong because the most I can lose is X. And I know that. And it's not a, it's not a ton. But I'm using leverage, but I'm aw I can define my risk. So I know that the worst case scenario goes down 30%, I'm only gonna lose three. Nice. And so, uh, so with your with your company, would you consider yourself like an add-on to someone's already investment that they have, or are you talk are you looking at individuals or, or some you know companies moving over completely? Like, what is your target um, audience or your target customer? Yeah, so, I mean, we're not for everybody. I enjoy educating people. Like, this is fun for me because I think more people need to understand how to invest well. Um, there are plenty of do-it-yourselfers, and they should do it themselves. I'm a do-it-yourselfer. I could not use somebody else's expertise because I'm going to micromanage it. I'm not going to be comfortable with it. I get that, and I totally empathize with those people. Um, we really work with individuals and families that need help, right? They either need help because they don't know what they're doing, they don't have enough time, or they don't have the expertise, right? And you could look at all of those. I work with people who are very smart, work for hedge funds. They just need a sounding board, right? They use us for sounding board. They're like, what do you think of this? And I'll give my idea and they'll either do it if they won't, but it doesn't matter to me because I'm not making commissions. You know, we, we, get, we charge a fee, so whether we're all in cash or all in stocks, we make the same amount of money, so I don't really care. There's, there's no good or bad assets, only good or bad prices. So, you know, when we're, we're working with individuals, we tend to work with the whole family, um, but because we specialize in alternatives in retirement accounts, sometimes we specialize in, like, individual things for them, and, and that's it. Nice. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit more before we move too far from the psychology aspect of it. Um, do you have any good advice for people that are looking into trading to know whether or not they are someone that would be good at doing this on their own or if they should just let someone else do it? What, what different personality types do you think you need to look for when you're looking for a good trader? Um, that's a great question. I mean, there's, there's different kinds of trading, right? I mean, you can trade for fun. You know, you could trade because you want to manage your own money, right? If you're trading for fun, then just trade for fun, right? Mm -hmm. If you're managing your own money, then it's a full-time job, right? You can't, um, you can't have a gambler mentality. You need to take it seriously. You need to have a strategy that works for you. It doesn't matter what the strategy is, as long as it lines up with your investor psychology and it works for you. Um, so I think really the psychology that people need to have is a level of seriousness, right? You know, um, diamond hands is not a strategy, right? <laughs> uh, oh, so on. you do know. He does you know. You know the lingo. He's I know the lingo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're talking to Mr. Diamond Hands over I'm never here, selling. though. I mean, yeah. He's never selling. <laughs> Unless you're in crypto, diamond hands is not a strategy. He bought a car with AMC the other day. He doesn't even need to worry about this. <laughs> so you did sell. <laughs> I did. He yeah. did sell yeah. eventually. Right. I'm a fan of taking profits, folks. All right. Yeah, you got to take your profits because otherwise it's just it's just paper. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. No, I was going to say. So, so really, you need you need to have a strategy. It needs to work. And I'd say, if you're not willing to put in the time and the effort, because I know a lot of your listeners they do pay attention, they do go to the trading classes, and that's great. You need to educate yourself. I'm still learning. I've been doing this for 23 years. I'm still learning every single day. I learn something new. Um, I, I've brought a book with me that I'm reading about options it's it's like a different kind of there's not a lot of options books but I'm, you need to constantly educate yourself because there's 
the markets are always changing. The second you think you have it pegged, it's going to change because the fact that you've figured it out, someone else has figured it out. Mm -hmm. And then all these other, <laughs> the, way I, the way I kind of describe the markets is one guy does the research, guy number two knows the guy who did the research, guy number three knows the guy who knows the guy who did the research, everybody else hears it at a cocktail party. That's how Wall Street does its research. Nobody's actually doing it, only a handful of people. So you need to really understand what you're doing and you need to take it seriously. Paper trade for a while, right? Don't trade with real money. Real money is important because if you don't paper trade, you won't figure out whether it works. But even then, when you start with real money, start small because using real money changes the psychological dynamics significantly because now now you're worried about losing money. Um, that money, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. It could be Absolutely. rent money, which you shouldn't do. But you know, you need to understand like your head is going to play games with you, and it's going to screw up your strategy. What I what I found, we in our class, we did something called the one share challenge, where we were doing we do mostly day trading, but for everyone, we would have them just start. If they're not doing paper trading, then they need to trade one share. And, and that's it. So you can actually get good with the mechanics of really buying and selling the stock. You can pay attention to how many cents or what percentage did you make, but you're not really worried about losing any capital when you're taking this trade. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about was it's not just about losing money. For me, my biggest issue is being wrong. That is what I fear when I'm in a trade. It's not the money. I can get more money. That's okay. But being wrong, you know, that, that is a much bigger deal that people need to work with. All right, so are you frustrated with the media? Are you tired of being fed the same news stories over and over again? One of the reasons we started this podcast is to give you a more well-rounded perspective on important issues. That's very that's, true. That is true. So our partners at Ground News are working to do the same, and boy, they are. It's really cool, actually. Yeah, Ground News, so just so you guys know, this is a really cool app. I've got it on my phone. I've been using it for getting show notes for the show. We found out about this a little bit ago, and I'm really excited that we get to tell you about it now. But it's an app that lets you compare how a single news story is being covered across the entire political spectrum. Okay, This is not just a news aggregator. It's a tool with tons of easy-to-use features. They help you analyze the news so you can be confident you're getting the whole story. Unlike social media and other news apps, Ground News doesn't use your browsing history to manipulate your news feed. Their blind spot feature shows you stories that are underreported by both the left and the right. So it's this really cool app that we're going to ask you to go to through our link that when you look at a story, it shows you how much it's being covered by right leaning news sites, how much is being covered by left leaning news sites, is it being covered by both of them pretty equally? And it shows you what the bias is overall. So you know what kind of bias you're getting from each one of these news organizations. It's you, a really cool app. And you can pick up keywords like rare. Mm-hmm. Rare. All right. So if you're the kind of person who's open to seeing multiple perspectives on controversial issues, then Ground News is for you. Check out Ground News by visiting ground.news slash GML. That's ground dot news slash gml or click the link in the description to download the free app yeah you need to really get over that yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's look you just need to stop all right yeah yeah it, it's i think it, you should stop trading yeah <laughs> just stop altogether you're not gonna win um, yeah i think that is actually a great point if you think about um you know, people when they're learning trading and you talk to the professionals in comparison, the one big comparison they hear all the time is you have to be comfortable being wrong. And you have to know going in that you don't know the future. I talk about this all the time and I can't hit the table hard enough on this, but you know, you, you're not going to know the future. 
We all think we know the future, but you cannot predict the future. No one can, but we all follow these oracles and, oh, we know the future, we can tell you what to invest in, all this. No one knows the future, right? If, if you told me you knew the future, I'd say, what island can you help me live on? Because <laughs> you wouldn't be here, you'd be living on an island yourself. Like, it's just, you know, it's not about, it's not about predicting the future, it's about looking at scenarios. So the way we look at it is scenario-based thinking uh, versus outcome-based thinking, right? Lo knowing the future is outcome-based thinking. Who's gonna win the election? I don't know. Well, I think Trump's gonna win. I think Biden's gonna win. That's outcome-based thinking. Scenario thinking is, what if Trump wins, what are we gonna do? What if Biden wins, what are you gonna do? What if it's unclear, right? And it's the same thing with buying a stock. What if the stock goes up? What if it goes down? What if it goes nowhere for five weeks? What are you gonna do? You know, you need to have that laid out. And if you do, then at the end of the day, you're gonna be happy with the outcome because you've thought about it, you've laid out your strategy, and you're gonna follow your strategy. The thing that gets people screwed up the most is something happens and they're frozen in fear. They're like, what do I do? <laughs> like, well, you have to write it out when you're rational, right? If you think about what your risk tolerance is, it's much different today than it was in March of 2020. I can guarantee it was much different. We always say plan the trade and trade the plan. Yes. You've got to have right. the whole thing planned out. What if this, What exactly what you were just mm -hmm. saying before you get in? Because when you're in the trade, like what you just said, you are no longer a rational human being whatsoever. You're this yep. person who just, this has got to go up. Or I can't Your sell right Your deepest traumas now. come up from the surface and start I, talking to you. Exactly. Yeah. I got, oh, Nate, don't do this. I got a good book. No, so. Nate, do this. Yeah. There's a little voice in your head. Hey, yeah. Kill me, kill me. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it, there's a good book called The Survivor's Club. Sell your Club. grandchildren. <laughs> The survivors. What? So there's a great book called The Survivors Club. So it talks about people who have survived traumatic events, and what it talks about is I forget the numbers, but I think it's like 15% of the people they go into. Let's say you, you're on a cruise ship and it capsizes. 15% of the people are going to act, act rationally. They're going to know what to do. They're going to take care of whatever they have to take care of. They're going to be able to think clearly. 15% are going to do the exact opposite of what they did. They're going to do what's the most detrimental to them because they're going to act crazy, right? This, this kind of lines up with the public, too. Yeah, I think, this does. Right? Yeah. And then the rest of the people are going to freeze because they've never seen this situation before. They never thought about it, so they, they just freeze. And that causes people to die because they don't know how to act. So they'll, like, they're in freezing cold water and you know, excuse the pun, but they'll just, they won't do anything. They won't get in a boat, they won't mm -hmm. look for a raft, they'll just sit there. So trading is much the same way. You, if you think about it, if you prepare yourself mentally, then you will react in the situation because these situations, you're not thinking, you're reacting, right? Oh, the price went down, I gotta react. When, you're th when it's, you have clear thinking, you can think things through, but when you're reacting, you have to react to your plan. So this book talks a lot about why this happens, plane crashes, all these things, like how to react and how to prepare yourself mentally so that when you come up with these situations, you know how to act. You're not like confused and doing the stupid things. I love that psychology aspect of it all. Um, and, and the way people think, not only about trading or investing, but also those, the, all those scenarios are very similar, where if you, if you, don't, if you haven't experienced it <clears throat> or you don't, 
plan to experience something, then most people, like you said, freeze. And so I just find all of that so fascinating. And the best thing that you mentioned that people can do, which is something we talk about all the time, is is educate yourself. I think even if you're not going to manage your own money, you should still know what other people are doing with it. Right. right? You should understand at least some of the basic fundamentals and and what does it mean when the Dow drops 800 points? Like, oh, the Dow's 800 points. And a lot of people are like, no, I like it when it's up. You know, but <laughs> like, what is what are those different types of things mean? I think that's that's paramount to, uh, to to people understanding. And I think I think we're seeing a massive wave of individuals starting to not only educate themselves but take control of their own finances and realize like, okay, this isn't as hard as the finance guy said it was in the 80s, right? It's you know, uh, investing is a endless journey. It is a lifelong journey. You're mm. always going to learn. The markets are always consistently going to change. I mean, one example we talk about investing half truths. One example is if you look back in the 80s and 90s, diversification worked, right? You could diversify stocks, bonds, you know, different asset classes. You could do that and it worked, right? The asset, the market would go up, you wouldn't make as much, but you, you know, you, you did okay. The market went down, you were protected, you didn't lose as much. That worked in the 80s and 90s. Well, in the 2000s, it stopped working, but people haven't realized that. They're still diversifying in 2008, 2015, 18, 2020. Well, if you notice 2008, Everything went down the same amount. You lost half your money. No matter what you were investing, except for gold, gold was up. But pretty much everything else, you lost like half your stuff. Unless you went short. Unless you <laughs> went short, yeah, yeah. But not many people did that. <laughs> but if you, if you kind of look back and reflect and say, diversification, did it work for me? No. And that's happened subsequently in each, each time the market's really sold off. We call it the contagion effect. But effectively, the market's changed, but people haven't. And they need to understand, you need to constantly be learning, because think about it this way. When you're go entering the market, you're competing against Wall Street's best and brightest in the world. Astrophysicists, nuclear engineers, you're, you're, you're competing against hedge funds with like a hundred million dollar budget for research. You can't compete with that. So you have to understand that you can't beat them at their game. You have to play your own game, but you have to understand how the game's played. So you're never gonna be as smart as them and you shouldn't try, right? It's like trying to be Warren Buffett. You're never gonna be Warren Buffett. But you can find a game that you're good at and you can be an expert at that and educate yourself along the way and know that, look, if you don't wanna be an investor, if you feel like you're not gonna be good at it, which is okay to admit, right? Like there were times where I wasn't very good at it. Um, and you need to understand, like, is this something you want to pursue? And if you do, then you have to look at it as an endless pursuit. You have to constantly be learning. You have to constantly educate yourself. And the more you educate yourself, even if you're using an advisor, you're still going to be better off because you're going to know this is this like this person knows what they're talking about. So tell me about timing the market versus buy and hold. Is that part of the innovative? You know, it's innovative advisor groups. Is that, yes. is that part of it? Yeah, so I, I love this. this. is one of those half-truths. Everybody thinks that buy and hold is the best strategy. I call it buy and hope, um, <laughs> you know, or, or buy and forget is probably probably more accurate. But, you know, people think that you have to buy and hold because you can't time the market. Well, you can buy and hold. You, can't, you can time the market. You can't predict the future. There's a very big difference there, and I think people need to understand that nuance because really, not, if you try to predict the future, you're going to be wrong. Uh, but if you're, if you're trying to time the market, look, the CMT, the Certified Market Technician, is a designation, a very tough one to get. 
based around charting and technical analysis. Like this is a real thing. People do this successfully. I have friends who do this professionally and I actually uh, interviewed on my show uh, a guy who won the Investing World Championships made 941% last year. And he's a technical guy. Yeah. Like all the, and you know, I mean, you look at that and say, wow, I could make that. But like, it's, it's abnormal. Last year was abnormal. But the point is, is there are plenty of people who successfully make big returns just charting because mm-hmm. charting is a reflection of human psychology. It's a reflection of fear and greed. And the fact is, is if you can, if you can follow these people and they'll say, oh, here's a cup and handle, here's a head and shoulders. And you look and say, all right, well, if it is a head and shoulders, they're not saying, oh, it is a head and shoulders and it's going to go down. What they're saying is it's a head and shoulders. If it breaks this line, there's a high probability chance it's going to go down. And you would invest based on that. Now, that's better than saying, well, I think ABC stock is going to beat earnings and their stock's going to go up. You have no idea, right? And you have no idea. You haven't talked to the CEO. I mean, there's your fundamentals is a guess. And, you know... <laughs> There's a good book called Full of Bull. <laughs> if you haven't read it, you should. It's a guy who is an uh, institutional analyst for some big uh, Wall Street firms. And over the years, he, he has basically been the top guy. And he's pointed out, he's like, all of this is basically bunk. He's like, my job was selling these companies so we could get institutional banking business, so I had to make the ratings look good. And my job was basically window dressing around making them look good. It was a great book. And this is back in like the, the early 2000s it came out, but it just illustrated what you know we already knew and a lot of people already knew, but it just pointed out, yes, this is actually what happens. It is bunk and it's not saying that these people aren't bright, they're very bright, but they're trying to paint a picture. And if you're, if you're following along, you know, I remember, you know, I used to go to a lot of investor conferences, and um, what I noticed was the, um, you watch the analyst, you can tell if they're full of it. <laughs> you can tell if they believe it. There are times you look at them like, this guy actually believes this. And there are times you're like, this guy's mailing it in, you know, doesn't believe it. And the times when they believe it, they're right. But you can't tell because they're not going to let you know which one times they're right, which times they're wrong. Yeah. Do you do a lot of technical analysis yourself, or you... Uh, I do. I also subscribe to a bunch of subscriptions. Like I'm, I'm looking for ideas because I don't have enough time in the day to look at everything. Like mm-hmm. nobody can. You have to specialize. So I'm good at a handful of things, and I focus on that. You know, like I got a client in. Um, in September, yell at me. She's like, why didn't you buy Apple stock in March? She's like, that was obvious. I'm like, not to me. <laughs> like, Apple stock, how many Apple stores were open during yeah. 2020? Like, it wasn't obvious. I said, but we invested in things we did know, and they went up like 100% in a matter of two weeks. Took Apple like a year, right? So it's not, uh, you don't have to invest in what other people think is good. Invest in what you're comfortable with. Because, I mean, you probably have these. You've got these white whales that no matter how many times you pursue them, they'll always kill you. Like, <laughs> you just, you can't get it right. And that's okay. Find something else. That's right. It sounds like the client you're t- uh, One thing I've also found is that people want to be able to say, say the news headline is Apple goes up X amount in, in this amount of time. They want to be able to say that they were in on that when that happened. Right. And it might not be as fun that they were in some other stock that their friends have never heard of. Yeah. Uh, and, and they made 100% on that. But if they could have taken this, oh, Apple announced they're going to have... Uh, 
cars or something like that and it and it moved up and I was in on that my you know my guy I picked the right guy and he got me in on that I feel like people really want to be able to say yeah I got AMC when it was at four dollars you know I knew about that I knew, yep. knew AMC was going to do this I had GME I still got some of it you know and uh, I don't know if you've noticed that a lot but that's just kind of what that reminded me of it, it you're 100 percent spot on <laughs> and I, I have to say I, I bought a share of one of the stonks just to say I was in on it, <laughs> knowing that I was going to lose but I didn't care it was just to say like yeah I was in on that yeah I traded uh, that. Yeah. a stonk master <laughs> yeah I would call myself a master <laughs> I would say a novice for sure yeah. but um well it's interesting you say that you like um you can time the market but you can't predict what's going to happen and you talked about earnings it's interesting because we actually have a strategy um based around earnings um and it's it's interesting don't tell everyone about the strategy i'm not gonna say exactly okay, what okay. what we do um <laughs> unless you sign up for the class folks all right <laughs> but <laughs> buy low but, sell high <laughs> right but but what's interesting is is that um so we've been watching earnings now for a long time and it you have no idea what a company could blow earnings out of the water and drop 20 percent right you're like what or they could they could miss earnings and go up 20 percent it's it's impressive um just being seeing that every single day now for a long time and you're just like earnings honestly mean nothing everybody raises the price target the, the stock drops 20 dollars. you know what i mean so yeah. it's it's you have no idea even even if all the analysts analysts indicate and raise their their price targets and and do all of this stuff you can see all of that good news and your brain's convincing you like oh my gosh this is going to go up and then the technical analysis of the chart it, it drops 20 percent right and, and a lot of that comes down to expectations and there was there was a lot of talk going into this earnings season that that the earnings expectations um even though that they were going to beat, that a lot of stocks were going to drop because the prices were way, they already were at that point. So, one, you know, they say buy the rumor, sell the news. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what people are doing, buying the rumor and they're going to sell the news. As soon as it comes out, it's going to drop because even though it looks good, what that really means, and, and that is an indicator in itself. And I think what people need to realize is you can't look at things in black and white. You have to look at that as, as data, as evidence, right? So if you're, if you're, in, if you're looking at a stock and it disappoints earnings and it doesn't drop, like significantly, you know, disappoints and it doesn't drop, that means that that stock has some pretty good strength there. Mm -hmm. Because if they're not selling them bad news, it's already priced in, that means people are already there, it's probably a good buying opportunity. Well, with the divergence there happening. Was, right, yeah. right, and same thing at the top, right? You see this great blowout earnings and the stock doesn't go up, maybe it goes down, eh, maybe you should go take a pause on that stock because, you know, the consensus of investors is, eh, we don't really think it's gonna go any higher. So it's about reading the data. Like, you, you don't need to predict the future, you just need to look at the data and say, what is the market telling me? Because price is the final arbiter. Price is what's right. Everything else is incorrect. Price will <laughs> always be right. Back in history, they're not going to change the price, right? Nothing. You can change a lot of things, but you can't change price. So price is what rules the day. Uh, one thing before before we kind of finish up, I, I probably we should have talked about this at the beginning, but I wanted to know a little bit of your history and how you got interested in trading. What got you interested in that and how long you've been doing this? I know you said 23 years, I think. Yep. But was, how did that all start? I was in the pre-stonk era, um, <laughs> but a similar era because I was in college in the late 90s, which of course everything dot went com. up, right? Yeah. Dot com. Yeah, that was a that was a real boom. That's when anything with dot com went up. Didn't matter what it was. It, the, I mean, you could be losing money hand over fist. Didn't care. No customers. Sure, we'll invest in it. It was bad. <laughs> um, and I was doing that in college, and I was like, oh, this is fun, you know. And I was trying to like invest in like blue chips, you know, like. 
I, I forget like my first uh, I was invested in like GM at one point total stupid investment um, you know there were, there were a lot of ones back back then everyone's invested in tech I'm invested in GM right I didn't get it but you know back then we didn't have the internet in the same way we have now so it was just you had to just figure it out you watch CNBC another bad idea um, and you know I really I was really fascinated by it. I really loved it I took an internship at, at a broker dealer and I just loved it I was cold calling I'm like this is fun like I get to talk about stocks I get to meet new people like to learn stuff like it was just fascinating because every day is a new day you learn something new every day because the market's always changing you can never learn everything and so I got a job out of college at Payne Weber, uh, which is now UBS, but it was Payne Weber at the time, and basically just dialing for dollars. Like it is, broker dealer is a totally different world, and that so was the changeover. Were you like like a Jordan Belfort kind of thing, you know? No, we were in a legitimate broker dealer. Okay, okay, okay. Um, just checking. It was still a broker dealer, though. You know, they they have a different set of rules there. But you were calling like I was like dialing for dollars. Yeah, yeah it definitely yeah. was, and. Um, you know, and, and I built this, I had this idea of building a long-term perspective. Everyone there was selling for commissions. I didn't do commissions, I did it for fees because I wanted long-term relationships. And um, I started there and I start, my first month in the business was December of 99. So I learned risk management really quickly because really? yeah. that was the top of the market. And Ugh. for the next few years of my career, the market just went down continuously. So I learned how to manage risk quickly because I didn't get the benefit of all that upside. People who have started in the last 13 years, they don't know what risk management is because they've never seen bad times. 2008 was bad. 2000 to 2003 was kind of bad, right? And, you know, I mean, I saw some really bad stories of people like, I mean, give me an example. Somebody would invest in, like, they, they exercise their ISOs and they wanted to hold long-term for capital gains. And they're holding, and the stock keeps going down. So not only did they not make any money, but now they owe a shit ton of taxes. Mm -hmm. So talk about getting hit twice with the ugly stick. That was rough. <laughs> and I saw a lot of that stuff happen. And um, it really just, you know, we end up starting this firm because we wanted to focus on risk management. We wanted to be able to focus on any investment it didn't it didn't have to be stock focused like we have clients invest in real estate horses tax liens private loans private company stock like you know uh motion picture motion picture film tax credits like all this weird stuff that you've never heard of but produces re ridiculous returns and it's because they're investing in what they know and that's what to me makes it fun so we've seen phenomenal investments over the years with people who are just really good at things and so we get to learn more so for me it's like it's a, I enjoy this. It's just a lot of fun. I get to learn every day. So you said so you said you shouldn't have diamond hands and unless you're talking about crypto. So that was interesting for me because I saw an analyst and this this this, this guy actually really did believe. He talked about Amazon. You know, Amazon fluctuated went from 190. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was 197 dollars a share down to like what five or six in it the dot com like bubble. Or eight, yeah. And he said, when was the right time to sell Amazon? He said the answer was never because <laughs> their subscribers were going up. But like if you looked at their business and he said same thing with with Bitcoin and crypto in, in essence, digital wallets and things like that. When is the right time to to sell Bitcoin? He said never because they're they keep increasing users. Wallets are going up. All, you know, they're adding millions and millions. All these different um, I guess you would call them innovative bankers now, Cash App and PayPal and all these uh, people who are going to be competing with banks are all increasing their user base. Um, so talk, if you wouldn't mind talk what do you What's your what's your thoughts on crypto investment um, and what the I guess the long term maybe 10 20 years from now what do you what are you thinking 
It's a great question, and I'm glad you called me on that because it's an important distinction. So. The diamond hands is somewhat unjust, but if you look at an investment, you have to have a exit strategy before you even enter. You need to know what that exit strategy is. And so for Bitcoin, like I, I invested some in 2017, you know, it went up 100%, I sold half. So I have no risk on that trade. I could hold it forever, I could sell, it doesn't matter because I'm never gonna lose money, right? So that was my strategy with Bitcoin back then. And it went up, I think we ended up making 350% return. If we had hold to the peak, we would've made 17 times our money. That's kind of a kick in the in the stomach right yeah. there. That hurts, right? Mm -hmm. But I still made 350% returns. Nothing to choke at, right? Right. And so I was comfortable with that because there was a point where it was getting a little crazy. I'm like, I know what this feels like and you don't know what's gonna happen. So you just kind of get out and you just say, I'm cool with taking my return profits and running. And you know, I think with crypto, my strategy has always been, take it for the bull runs. There'll be a time where it sells off and it'll go dark for like a, a year, two years, three years, and then it'll run up again. If you get it when it starts to run, you can get a good run on it, you sell half and you just sit on it. And then, you know, it'll, in my opinion, it'll probably take another run because the institutions are in there, they're building infrastructure, they're investing in it. You know, all of this, all the positive stuff you want to see in Bitcoin, you're seeing right now from the institutions. And they're getting a lot of support. You know, they're getting a lot of government um, uh, regulatory figures that support Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So all of that is positive. And just because that's happening doesn't mean Bitcoin can't go down 80%. Mm -hmm. And you need to realize that if you're going to hold long term, then you need to stomach that and use that as a buying opportunity or manage your risk another way and take out your principal. You won't make as much, but you also won't have any risk on the table because you've already taken it off. And so that's we like uh, cryptocurrencies because they're what we call an asymmetric risk trade. And I don't know if you guys talk about this, but asymmetric risk trade is the Wall Street holy grail. It's, I can make five times my money if I'm right, and I could lose one times money if I'm wrong. That's an asymmetric risk mm. trade. That's a, that's a, five times is great on Wall Street. Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, you're talking like 20, 100 times. Mm. That is the holy grail on Wall Street. And, and everyone knows it. And, and all the smart institutional investors are, if they understand it truly, they are investing there. Now, I'm not here to support Bitcoin. I'm just saying, like, from a trading standpoint, that is an investment that we look at and say, all right, that makes sense. So I don't need to put 100% of my clients' money in Bitcoin. I can put 1%. So if I'm wrong, they lose 1%. Who cares about 1%? I mean, you, know, you make 10% in a year, you lose one, so what? Like, it's, it's, it's so minuscule, but if you, if you make 20 times your money, you're making 20% off one. So it's about balancing the risk and reward. It's not about getting greedy and trying to, trying to take all of the, you know, to win all of the marbles. You're just, you're trying to take your slice of the pie. You're trying to take your profits and move on. So that's how we look at it. And sometimes that risk management can sting. It can. Yeah. I had one of those situations recently with GameStop. I jumped in at the beginning of January, and it's uh, called Game Stonk. Yeah, I was oh, Game, say, game they, Stonk. They change yeah, that my name? bad. Yeah. My bad. But I, but anyway, I had I had some options contracts that um, they they dropped fifty percent, and that was my my trade. I was like, okay, if I, they drop fifty percent, I'm getting out. Had I held overnight, uh, they went up. Um, what was it like? Four hundred times? Yeah, I mean, we made about four hundred times my money. No, no, a thousand times my money. I think you stopped out because of, say, uh, the 
a thousand dollar loss and it would have been a hundred thousand dollar gain the next day. Yeah. My so, total risk was <laughs> my total risk on this trade was twelve hundred dollars. I lost six hundred. I would have woke up with a hundred and twenty four thousand dollars the next morning. That stings. That, that stings. Hurts. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the but, way, in our class was, we tell no one to do the Wall Street bet stuff. We're, yeah. we're like, this but, is not real. Don't yeah. do it. But to your point, that's that's risk management. My my plan for the trade was I'm gonna get in this. If it drops fifty percent, I'm out. And I did. I took emotions out of it. And sometimes I'm just letting people know, sometimes that's gonna sting. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, you could have had seventeen times your money, you took it out at five. Yeah. Right? You like, have to be comfortable with it though. Because for you, that's gonna color your next trade. Now the next trade you can be like, Oh, maybe I should stay one hold, more day. Yeah, mm-hmm. 60%, that's problem. Eighty percent. That's yeah. that's why it's so hard to trade because your yeah. head is gonna try to beat you up. Yeah, exactly. Just got to trade the strategy all the time and do it. Be a machine. Um, Tell everyone where they can go if they are interested. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, You can go to InnovativeWealth.com. That's our website. We have a lot of research there on self-directed IRAs. You can also find me on my podcast, uh, Money Tree Investing. We have, I'm there every week hosting the show. Oh, we didn't talk enough about the the podcast, man. I didn't I didn't realize no, no, that. This is your okay. podcast, not mine. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll make sure when we do release this, we'll put a link to the podcast and everything in there. Okay. So, uh, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah. I hope you me. have a great. Are you are you here for the whole thing? I'm here till Saturday. Yeah, I got a I got a talk on Friday. Bitcoin versus gold. I'm on Team Gold, by the way. <laughs> okay. All right. And then I got another talk about financial resilience on Friday. So yeah, if if you guys are listening to this, uh, Freedom Fest is a great festival. You can get a lot of the talks here, and it's a it's a lot of good group of people. Are you Team Gold because you want to be Team Gold, or somebody just asked you to to be on that team? I could be on either team. I'm just having fun. Okay. Good. <laughs> I, I really really enjoyed uh, the conversation. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah. me too. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Yeah. Right, thanks Thank you.